Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to this podcast that we do called the Lines Lit by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Go fuck yourself. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Joe. <laughs> Hi, my sweet boy. Aw. Let's, let's see if we have everything in line for the podcast. Is our internet going to kick us out of the Zencaster room? Probably. Probably. Is, uh, is our depression in check? Oh, Absolutely God. not. Dude. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, e- listen, uh, like occasionally we both spiral together and it's fine. Struggling a little bit up here. Just, no, I, just struggle, struggle a little bit. I, I completely understand, man. Um, yeah, like it's been a bad week, uh, for me personally, even though my book came out this week. I know this is coming out, uh, quite a long time in the future. So my book will have already come out, but, um, yeah, like it wasn't, a, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Um, not a bad week. No, I don't think I've had one of those in a while. Unfortunately, uh, I uh, I will say uh, my friend who will remain unnamed uh, because I don't know if he listens to this, but I don't want to embarrass them. Had don't dox them. Just put their entire mailing them. address and phone number in the margins. The uh, had the worst weekend I've heard of in quite some time, and the problem is it was all his fault. Yeah, that's that's one of the problems that I'm currently having yeah. because I've done everything that's led me to this moment. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, but ooh, ooh, that's not a good feeling, is it? Yeah, welcome back to Depression Cast. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's super tight when you know the reason you're failing is because you set yourself up to fail. Um, that's that's my favorite thing about depression. Well, and I don't manage some of my emotions as good as maybe some people should. Um, so I end up like constantly replaying things in my head, which just creates a feedback. Oh, I do yeah. that. Yeah. The, the the end is me not getting out of bed for two days, but it's not like I slept. You know, it's good. Yeah. Stuff. We are. We listen. We have a healthy, a healthy grip on our depression is what we have. That's right. Uh, you know, what really helps <laughs> with depression. Yeah, Liam. Psychic damage, untold Nazis? amounts of psychic damage. God, we got to go yeah. back to the Nazi minds. <laughs> uh, uh, I will say this one is a bit of a an interesting Nazi. I'll say now. I this does require an intro because every once in a while, as we are want to do, to read was a lieutenant colonel in the Waffen SS. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It gets worse. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I said the thing. Um. Uh, the every once in a while, there's a guy so wild. Um. It looks like they kind of jumped out of central casting for like a B-rate James Bond film or better known as every James Bond film. Uh, and like a good example of this is like uh, Baron Sternberg, right? Like he's the, he is our go-to for the crowning achievement of crazy guy uh, that we've ever talked about. I truly don't think he will ever be eclipsed. I don't think anybody's beating the king of wolf rehab on that. Um and but like the reason why is because like he is an unmitigated like just un uh, like no no way you can describe him is he not a bad person right um, and we're, the reason why I'm bringing him up is because we're talking about Otto Skorzeny uh, <laughs> um, and he's different than than Sternberg he's obviously not nearly that bad even though he was a literal Nazi. <laughs> Uh, and a member of the SS. It's it's hard to they compare. Have worked for oh boy. Oh, oh yeah. No, uh, this, yeah. Uh, not gonna close the this. page, Liam. Close the page. she uh, come on, man. Every time with this shit. Every fucking time with this shit, Joe. Every time I think it can't get any fucking worse. 
Why am I doing this to myself? And then I fucking read this shit, Joe. I fucking read this shit. And my boy is doing work for unnamed country. And I'm just like, really? That's the fuck. That's what we got to fucking do. We got to fucking go to the Nazi barrel. Like, if it makes you feel any better, we'll talk about that. It probably didn't happen. But Jesus Christ. Right. You know, there's different kinds of guys. We've we've talked about the, like the 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 pyramid of dudes or whatever the flow chart of of, of dudes rock. Um, like we we've both agreed that Baron Unger and von Sternberg, while being a absolute human monster, fits somewhere on the dudes rock spectrum. Because I mean, come on. Uh, but you also have to understand where these guys are coming from. Otto Skorzeny is a fucking lunatic. Um, However, he's not the same kind of lunatic. He's more of an Ernst Jünger kind of uh, lunatic who just really loved war. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, like, he could not get enough of this shit. Uh, and he kind of transcends every other kind of dude's rock uh, idea we've ever talked about. And I need to point out here, because we say dude's rock or the word transcendence, we don't mean it as a good thing. Um Otto Skorzeny is widely known as Adolf Hitler's favorite commando. So, oh, and eventual Mossad hitman, allegedly. So we're not talking about a good person here. So like, you know, obviously. A lot has been written about Skorzeny, and therein lies one of the problems. Most of the people who have written about him cite him, cite Skorzeny. And Skorzeny loves him some motherfucking Skorzeny. Uh, does the phrase unreliable narrator mean anything to you? Yeah, like he is at like he's his best marketer, the best hype man, and uh, and his own best historian long after his own death. And that means a lot of what we know about him is complete bullshit at worst, or exaggerated to make him sound good at best. And uh, so while we chart this man's very weird life, I'm gonna do my best to try to cut through some of that. And uh, for our sources is Otto Skorzeny, The Devil's Disciple by Stuart Smith, which is probably the best critical look at the man's life, as well as Dr. Robert Forzik's Rescuing Mussolini, Gran Sasso, 1943, which is, again, a critical look at the operation that made him famous. Yeah, we'll be talking about that in part two. Um, and also Skorzeny's own book, Hitler's Commando, which, good God, is that a bad book? Do not read it. <laughs> Um, it reads like someone is more high in their own supply than anybody's ever been before in their life. It's like reading it's it's like reading a fucking autobiography of a seal, um, a Navy seal, not the cute ones. Though I would read a cute seal's autobiography. Um, I, I there's a reason why I almost never use autobiographies as sources uh, because everybody kind of makes themselves sound slightly better than they should. Uh, but it, you kind of have to when it comes to Scorzeni because everybody cites it. Everybody talks about it. Um, oh, and a small note here, just in case you're this is your first episode listing on this show. This entire series is about a fucking Nazi, a hardcore, unrepentant Nazi. So no matter what we say about his crazy life or maybe you think it that was we, too long, it was significantly too long. Uh, no matter what we say about his life or how you uh, perceive we're saying something, remember, he's a piece of shit and we fucking hate him. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. I just book. Yeah, if this is your first time in this neighborhood, you should know that we do not suffer Nazis well. No. Uh, our editor is Jewish. I'm Jewish. Why, do I, why did I lead with Nate? <laughs> why did I lead with Nate? I'm Jewish. <laughs> I am the only non-Jewish man involved in the production of this podcast for now. <laughs> We'd love to have you. You already got the hard part over with. Yeah, we're, we, uh, we're ahead of the curve on that one, baby. So to speak. Um, now, Otto Johann Anton Skorzeny was born. On, up, yeah, he was born June 12th, 1908 in Vienna uh, in the dying days of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Now, Unlike some of the people we've talked about here, he was not born from like a bad background. Uh, I assume this is a normal German household in the early 1900s. Uh, he was solidly upper middle class. Uh, his father, Anton, was a construction manager of some kind, and he was a real asshole. Uh, you could absolutely see how this guy ended up raising Hitler's favorite commando. Uh, he never what a sentence to hear. Yeah, yeah. Like to be fair, this whole family ends up becoming Nazi party members. So like oh, I don't I bet feel, they do. Yeah. Anton lives long enough to see his son become an SS legend. So and I, I have no doubt he was very proud of that. Yeah. 
do us. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to make Nate do more work. <laughs> that that beat button's getting burnt out. Uh, now, his dad was really cheap. Uh, he never doted on his family. Uh, and he did this on purpose because he believed that if the family and his uh, sons, because he had several sons, uh, had everything that they've ever wanted, they'd turn into like soft little boys. He's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, the, the family had long, uh, military history involved in both the Austro-Hungarian empire and Germany. And it only get longer. Cause if you remember the date, world war one's about to start. Um, his dad got drafted to serve in the Austro-Hungarian military. And if anybody who's been listening to our show, uh, before, uh, is probably shocked to learn that he survived virtually unscathed. Um, he did. yeah. Uh, unlike millions of other people, uh, his mom also had most of the men in her family drafted as well. Uh, and Devil's Deceitful, the book Devil's Deceitful notes that this all, all of the service was, quote, without distinction. I don't know why I included that. I just thought it was I funny. like that. I like that. You can't <laughs> fucking do that right, you stupid Nazis. The, the, these are pre-Nazis. They're not quite Fuck there them. yet. They're going to be of, Nazis. They can yeah. suck my dick, Joe. I mean, you know, Hitler is sharing a trench line with them. So, you know, only if the artillery was a little bit more accurate. Go back in time. Give the Italians high Mars or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please. Get rid of Hitler. <laughs> now, after World War I, the Austro-Hungarian Empire famously shit itself and died, taking most people's livelihoods with it to include the Skorzeny families. However, Otto, uh, at this point, obviously Otto did not fight in World War I. He was too young. Uh, he was very good in school, um, at least in what he considered, quote, real subjects. Oh, he was boy. a STEM lord. He hated the uh, humanities. As you can imagine uh, from someone raised by a dad like them, he fucking hated anything that didn't uh, you couldn't like touch with your hands. Like he was uh, an engineering uh, nerd and a, a math nerd, which is uh, going to be interesting when we talk about his military career. Because when you think of engineers, you think of people who are very careful with plans, stuff like that. Yeah, he's not. Um, so it's kind of weird. He also learned quite a few languages that seems to be stemmed from his dad. His dad spoke like three or four languages. Um, but he eventually went to college to study engineering. He went to Austria's Technical University, uh, you know, the famed ATU. Uh, I assume they're, if they're well, in yes. well, the fighting Himmlers, yes. <laughs> if they were an American university, they're like shitty D4 uh, NCAA team, be like the, the, the NAIA team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Bearcats, because. That's a we have way too many teams named the Bearcats. Bearcats are kind of sick though, dude. Unlike Nazis, oh. did get into sports, uh, and is honestly the coolest sport I've ever heard of because of how dumb it is. Fencing, and not the kind of fencing that you think it is. No, this is the one that like fucked up his face, right? Yes. Uh, now, for starters, this kind of fencing was not considered a sport. It was considered a way to train character and personality. What the fuck does that even mean, man? It's because it's like this that that bullshit, like you know, iron sharpens iron bullshit. You know, oh, okay. You get yeah, a whole bunch of yeah. yeah, you get a whole bunch of young impressionable fucking university students, and they all turn into Draymond Green, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, now I went to the same school. How does that make you feel? Uh, worse people have gone to my school. That is true. God damn, is that true? <laughs> Didn't you go to Penn State? Draymond Green went to Michigan State. I know, but didn't you go to Penn State? Is this a competition? I went to Temple. We have Bill Cosby. Thank you. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for that correction to make you sound better. And also also Ted Bundy. Ooh, well. Didn't graduate, but he did go to Temple. Yeah. You know, which is surprising because Ted Bundy was normally uh, famous for finishing things. Uh, Oh. (laughs) Oh. Now, uh, the the key part of this fencing was that there was no protective gear. Though I should point out, some schools did have protective like leather uh, and like uh, uh, like a face guard, more as like kind of like a nose guard. And these swords were sharp; they were like broadswords. Um, but specifically in Austria, where Skorzeny lived and was going to school, that kind of protection was considered some pussy shit and discarded entirely. Now it gets dumber than this because, you know, if you watch fencing like on the Olympics or whatever the fuck you find yourself at 3 a.m. because you can't sleep and you're on YouTube and you're watching fencing um, and, and you notice people are moving around an awful lot. You're dodging, you're dipping, you're, you're I don't know, doing a 
it, I don't know. Tuck and roll, tuck and roll, tuck no, and roll. I don't, I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. fencing moves are called. Um, but you're trying not to get hit. Um, so that's a th- point or something? Not here. Yeah. It's not. Oh. In, in this kind of fencing, you could not dodge incoming blows. You could not even flinch. The goal was not to get. Well, the goal is not to like not get hit. Uh, you you didn't dodge. You, the goal is to get hit and shrug it off. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds like a really good way to catch a sword to the face and lose like yeah, uh, you know, the tip of your nose or whatever. You're right. It happened all the time, and the, those resulting fencing scars were considered a badge of honor. And Scorzeni himself, if you look up a picture of him, had a prominent scar running uh, down the uh, side of his big, face. A big sucker, yeah. And he was super proud of it, like a Nazi Roroni Kenshin. Oh my fucking god. And not to mention, this guy is also like 6'4 and built like a brick shithouse. You could see how he'd be into this kind of thing. And while in school, he fought 14 of these duels. Uh, and from my understanding, I don't really think you win or lose these unless you flinch or run away. Um, but yeah, he definitely did not. He, 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 his face is a bit ugly from these. Um, <laughs> and uh, not say fuck him. these facial scars were so prized. It's in the Nazi inner circle. It was considered like something of a symbol of badassery. Um, and there's a lot of Nazis who claim to have them that faked them. Um, and you can Fake, tell but like with prosthetics. Um, like with they would have other scars and say it was from dueling. Uh, There's okay. one. There was one guy. I can't remember who it was. He was quite high up. He got like a car accident when he was younger, and he had a scar on his face. And he claimed it was from a duel. And all of the uh, like people like Scorzeni, who really were whipping swords at each other's faces, were like that doesn't seem like the one that I have. Because if you notice, that is not a small scar. Oh, that's a that's a big sucker. Yeah. Um, now, despite being a STEM lord, Scorzeni was actually kind of bad at school. Uh, he believed in doing the bare minimum in order to get by, uh, which admittedly I can respect. Uh, like he's like one of the things that he said is like, well, if I can't be an like an all straight A student, which he wasn't going to be, why would I struggle to get B's when I can just casually walk across the finish line and get C's? And it's like, all right. Yeah, you know what they call uh, doctors who average C's in medical school? A VA doctor, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Now, he did that. To be fair, they gave him a lot of uh, free time because he wasn't studying. And you know what he dedicated all that free time to? Politics. And he says, we're talking about a Nazi. You could probably guess what kind of politics. Uh, Now, the Nazi party wasn't quite around yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was in some form, but he wasn't in it yet. He joined the Academic Legion, which despite its, despite its name was a right-wing paramilitary, which just sounds like the, the dumbest group of nerds on Earth. Um, it formed in the aftermath of the 1927 Marxist uprising in Austria, which is sometimes dubbed the Austrian Civil War. Uh, now, this lasted four days, um, ended with a large-scale purging of leftist, leftist elements within the country. And a strengthening of the right, which, you know, we, we know how this one ends in this country. Now, uh, there are a lot of these student militant uh, groups uh, on the right, and most of them had been unofficially absorbed into an organization as the Austrian Home Guard. Uh, a- another paramilitary group is actually independent of the military due to post-World War I uh, uh, restrictions on the Austrian military. And because of that, it actually became more powerful than the Austrian military to the point that the Austrian military eventually just absorbed it in the late 30s. Um, yeah. Uh, however, the Home Guard kind of shit itself and died uh, uh, due to inter-party conflict uh, and, of course, the eventual absorption. Uh, now, this inter-party conflict kind of disgusted Scorzeni, who rapidly became a, drumroll please, pan-Germanist. Um, oh, duh. Now, remember, this is before the Nazis again. He was not a Nazi yet, but he still believed because Austria was in a really bad uh, kind of way at the time. Sure. And yeah. he believed that the only way to save Austria was union with Germany, which now this is like 1920s Germany. Remember, <laughs> he thought right, they'd be right. better off as a union state, uh, which tells okay. you how bad things were. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, but there was only one party within Austria that was preaching pan-Germanism and German unionism. And that was the Austrian Nazi party, uh, which the entire Skorzeny family quickly warmed up to and auto-joined in 1932. 
now, just in case you did this because he was worried about the, like you people think that he did this like because I, I was trying to explain that he was worried about the Austrian economy or whatever. Uh, he did this after being inspired by a speech by Joseph Goebbels. So he's 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 a he's a true blooded Nazi here. He's a yeah, real fucking fuck this guy. And he joined the SS two years later. Um, now, at the time, being a member of the SS and you know right wing psychopath didn't pay the bills, so he needed to get a job. Uh, unfortunately, he had a hard time finding a job, uh, and he he got married a couple months after he joined the SS. And he just so happened to marry a construction uh, manager who's worth millions upon millions of dollars, married a daughter, and then uh, got a divorce a few years later after he bought a part ownership in her dad's company. So do with the information what you will. He did this kind of stuff a lot. Um, and this kind of frames Scorzeni's life pretty accurately. He's a shameless self-promoter and a ladder climber. Um, like, for example, you know how I told I you... I can't believe a Nazi would be shameless. That's crazy. You know, you normally think them to be true believers or whatever, which don't don't get me wrong. Scorzeni was a through and through anti-Semite to the day he died. But sure. like he he pretty obviously didn't care so much about what Nazis believed. Um, he cared about as much as advancing himself. Sure, exactly. For example, like he hated humanities people. He hated lawyers, stuff like that. Uh, he was only friend, like truly friends with engineers and other people who would become like him later on, which is like commandos. That's interesting, uh, just because the Nazis are so obsessed with like paperwork and order and shit like that and sort of legalese in a way. Like, right. Yeah. He didn't really a, seem to care about that. Interesting. I mean, like, because his very profession of being a commando kind of flies in the way of orderly regulation. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it took him years to get there. Uh, and, and for example, one of his best friends is a guy named Ertz Kaltenbrunner, who's, again, historic dickhead. Um, and I say best friends. But more like uh, most like closest connection because Scorzeni actually fucking hated him. Um, but Colton ha- Colton Brunner was the head of the Austrian SS, and he was so influ- influential with the Nazi circles. He would eventually replace Reinhard Heydrich after he got killed. So like he's super powerful. Um, and Scorzeni was smart enough to see if I hitch myself to Colton Brunner, I'm going places because as as we'll find out, without Colton Brunner. Scorzeni's entire career, we never would have heard of. He would have been behind a desk somewhere as an SS functionary doing nothing. Um, so like you can kind of see he always attaches himself to more powerful people to rise up because on his own, he's kind of nothing. But by cozying up to Colin Brunner, he knew an important, which he knew was a very important connection to have, even if the Austrian Nazi party was dumb as hell by Nazi standards. They wanted to take but power. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, like for instance, they want to take power independently of the German Nazi Party, even though a key linchpin for the German Nazi Party was taking over Austria. So they didn't really need them in charge of Austria as much as they just needed them to be a puppet for the German Nazi Party, which is, of course, what would eventually happen. But like a poll about Austrian independence found that the majority of Austrians wanted to be independent from Germany, and this included members of the Nazi Party who were supposed to be in favor of the German Union, which is the whole reason why the German Nazi party like was propping them up. So when a popular vote for independence was coming up and it looked like the fuck Germany option might win, Hitler, who was now in power in Germany, made sure he wasn't going to let that happen. And this is via threats of the German army on the border, uh, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we will fucking invade you. And the chancellor resigned. The chancellor of Austria resigned. Uh, he was then hand, like, replaced by a hand-picked Hitler guy who made sure he, to invite the German army right in the next day. Um, and this is the Anschluss. Uh, now, Skorzeny, in his version of the Anschluss, said he took no active part in uh, Germany's takeover of Austria. When in reality, oh, uh, <laughs> there was a special hit team that was supposed to kill the Austrian chancellor should he refuse to resign. And Skorzeny was a member of it. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, a kind of funny but unimportant side note here, because uh, I like talking about this dumb dueling so much. Sure, sure. Um, one of the things, like that, was one thing that Scorzeni loved. He considered it like a cornerstone of a man. Dueling, oh, yeah, okay. the, the dueling with swords and f- making each other uglier. Uh, uh, what's one of the things? One of the first things that the Nazis banned was this kind of dueling because you know they they needed people with their faces intact for military service. Why? Um, Saves weight if you don't have a face. Makes you more aerodynamic. Don't need it. You know, if if Scorzeni <laughs> had lost his whole nose, he would be able to move through the air faster. That's right. Uh, but it, it was another reason was uh, 
because this dueling was popular in Germany as well. And everybody kind of knew that one of the things you did when you weren't smashing each other in the face with a sword was talking about politics. Um, and the Nazis didn't want anybody talking about politics that wasn't mm, within okay. Nazi the party line. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. yeah, they didn't want any of these independent circles, you know. Now, this is where things get dark for a little bit. Um, despite Scorzeni avidly denying it till the day he died, there's a fuckload of evidence to suggest that he immediately took part in Crystal Knocked. Um, of course, it did. now that was uh, November 10th, 1938. And he was a now a very high ranking member of the SS, close to the Austrian SS commander. So there's an even a, a, a greater than zero chance he helped organize Kristallnacht within Austria. And he uh, he could have possibly as well personally burnt down two synagogues. Fuck um, you, guy. At, at the very least, he directed the burning down of two synagogues. So yeah. Eat my ass. Every once in a while, we got to point out this guy was a through and through Nazi to the day he died. So who can yeah. eat my ass? I'm alive and he's dead. So suck that shit. Scoreboard motherfucker. Um, now, despite all of this, Scorzeni was not actually in the military, any military. He was just in the just SS. Just a guy? Oh, gee. oh right, yeah. right, right. Because the, you know, there's the SS and there's the Waffen SS. Um, and the, at this point, the Nazis invade Poland. He was some soulless SS functionary at night because he still was not making a salary and working his normal job at the construction office during the day. So when the war finally started, he wanted to join what he believed the most heroic and dashing of all military branches within the Third Reich, the Luftwaffe. And he was immediately rejected. Bitch yes. ass, too old. He's 31. Yep. Yeah. Also, he's yep. too tall. Like he's six foot four. He, he, right. cannot, no. he cannot fit in a plane. Um, so he went and joined the Waffen SS, the armed branch of the the, the party mm-hmm. structure. He wanted to become an officer, but he was also too old for that. But you know, at that point, he was he had enough connections to get a waiver. Um, and because the, normally they wouldn't care. We've talked about the SS and how they rapidly turn into just a bunch of guys because they were being fed into a killing field in the Eastern Front, and their standards would slowly be cut. Like this, they still had racial purity laws and stuff at this point. Um, but he got a waiver, uh, and his connections got him in the door for officers training, doing basic training with the SS Leibenstart Adolf Hitler. Uh, now, training at this point for the SS took a really long time. It's actually quite interesting. I don't think I've seen many officers training that look quite like it. Like it involved effectively on-the-job training as a non-officer for quite a while. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it took like two years, uh, which, I mean, that length isn't super long. But, you know, normally you don't end up having to like you know, suck shit with grunts in order to get commissioned. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the closest thing you have is like a couple weeks in ROTC where you have to go out to the field and play soldier. Sure. <laughs> but <Fun you> stuff. <laughs> yeah, and of course, this would also end for the SS as, you know, a generation of, of, of guys who are a bit too fair skinned got smeared into the mud. Um, he was assigned to manage transportation and logistics for an SS unit during the invasion of France, which is probably not the heroic ideal he was looking for. Like he saw himself being a war hero, and here he was literally sucking shit. Bullets. Yep. Oh, and that unit was the SS Totenkopf Division, better um, known for all of the concentration camps they helped st- staff. Now, there's the yep. Totenkopf Verbond, which was like the actual concentration camp guards. Right. One and the same. Truly one and the same. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Scorzeni, right? Uh, when Scorzeni writes about his own history, he tends to downplay this part of his career or leave it out entirely depending oh, on the account you read. Yeah. Yes. Now, as you can imagine, tending to trucks and paperwork was not what he saw himself doing during the sprawling early stages of World War II. Um, so he was not a very good soldier. Again, one of the few things about him I can respect. Uh, <laughs> he got a job that he hated and put exactly zero effort into it. Yeah. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. He got in trouble constantly, mostly for insubordination. Um, but uh, one of the now sometimes you have to look into these charges because back in the day, insubordination could mean anything. Like right. nowadays, if you if you get charged with insubordination, it's normally for just refusing an order. Um, but back in the forties, one of his insubordination charges was holding his own supply officer at gunpoint in order to get new tires for his truck. All right, okay, I I I don't respect it, but all right, I yeah, you know? yeah. It's sometimes That's efficiency, like, I guess. All right, all right, yeah. Um, now, somehow back then, this did not get you prison time. Um, oh, okay. I, I have no idea how, but he did eventually get uh, something akin to prison time. Um, now, 
he was at a bar uh, drinking, as soldiers want to do. As um, you do. And he saw a picture on the wall uh, that he really did not like. Uh, it is a picture of a guy. I believe it was some uh, Nazi party member um, that he, he really did not like. And he told the bartender, take that shit off the wall. <laughs> and when the bartender didn't, he simply unholstered his sidearm and shot it. Jesus. <laughs> Just shooting a fucking painting off the wall. Okay. Um, but in Scorzeni's telling of the story, he doesn't shoot at it. He only threatens to shoot at it. Remember, he threatens to shoot a painting on the wall like a complete normal person. Totally uh, normal. Everything's going great here. Yeah. Uh, and he got locked in the barracks for a few weeks, uh, which is, you know, kind of like prison. Not My guy quite. just loves doing it. I would, I would argue that he probably should have gone to prison for holding someone at gunpoint for some new tires, but, you know, whatever. Whatever. What are you going to do, right? Now, after this, he took part in the Nazi invasion of Yugoslavia, where he rode out the entire thing in the rear at the baggage train because he was still a logistics officer. Um, <laughs> there is no glowing records of his military experience from this time, unless, of course, you believe Skorzeny without any evidence. Um, now, in his book, he claims he was promoted uh, to Obersturmfuhrer, which is effectively a lieutenant. Um, sure. Because he captured 60 POWs all by himself. Now, wow. this didn't happen uh, because, you know, he fought for the one country in World War II that pretty much never failed to get everything down on paper. Um, because we have German military records that prove that he was not actually promoted for a but year of after this. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, he didn't get any medals for this. Um, if you capture 60 POWs by yourself, you're probably going to get a medal for it. Uh, so we can probably assume it didn't happen. So, yeah. Sure. He finally did actually see combat uh, during the invasion of the Soviet Union in Operation Barbarossa. Congratulations. Uh, and also, yeah, you finally got what you wanted. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, well, good news. He didn't. Um, good. <laughs> as, as nobody did uh, during this point. Uh, maybe, maybe the first, but you, you know, you're like, me sewing. Haha, yes, me and in, in, in outside of Moscow the in the winter. Fuck? Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, his unit was part of, you know, many that took part in the Nazi push towards Moscow, uh, which, in case you were not aware, did not go great. Uh, His unit was annihilated. Um, We don't really have actually a lot of firsthand accounts of his time during this. He doesn't really write about it, um, which is actually kind of telling because, uh, yeah, you'll see why. You'll see why. Um, His unit was fucked up so bad within the first couple months of fighting, they were pulled completely off the line. Uh, and he was awarded an Iron Cross second class for his actions. It was pulling a, a wounded man away, uh, something like that. Now, his first campaign, his first real campaign ended after six months. This is not because of a wound, which he would eventually get wounded, which is weird. Uh, but because his gallbladder got infected, uh, which actually happened to me a couple of years ago. And that shit does suck. Uh, oh, that, does, that, sounds, that sounds unpleasant I will say that it is very unpleasant it feels like you just kind of have a, a hot knife being slowly rotated into your guts uh, until oh, I had a doctor no. tear out my gallbladder yeah oh, no but he didn't get his gallbladder removed um, I think at the time because it was just so much harder to do um, and so this would be like a reoccurring problem for him for his entire life <laughs> uh, but while he was being pulled back uh, to a hospital uh, because of his gallbladder uh, an air bursting shell exploded over him, and he got a piece of shrapnel lodged in his skull. Uh, the classic twofer. Yeah. Um, after that little bump on the noggin, you know, the indirect bonk, if you will, uh, in 1942, he ended up teaching back at the same place where he was a cadet two years later. Um, because it took him a while to recover from the gallbladder thing, more longer so than the, the shrapnel to the head. Um, so while he was recovering, they pretty much made him a teacher. Um, and this is where something weird happens. He gets promoted and then gets his, he, you know, the, the, the real promotion. And he gets assigned back with the Totenkopf division for the occupation of uh, Vichy France. Uh, Vichy, Vichy France. Um, which is uh, not going to win anybody any glory or promotion. He they really should have hanged the town when they had the chance. I mean, they got around to it. <laughs> no, he wasn't killed, man. Wait, wait, Philippe Patan was, 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 was not executed because of his age. Oh fuck! You're right. Ah, uh, I know. I know one history fact. That's it. That's it. When they go End to the hang up, his head just snaps off and dust comes out. Um, now he, this is where the the weird thing happens. His unit gets reassigned to the Eastern Front to make up for you know all of the losses of the Eastern Front. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And this is when he suddenly comes down to blinding headaches. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, and he gets excused from redeployment. Now, he, get, he gets excused from his unit to go back to a hospital, and he promptly goes AWOL, and then nearly kills a man in a bar fight via stabbing. And this is also around the same time his dad died. So, Otto mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, uh, is, is not doing so hot. Uh, not doing so good. I also believe that this is kind of something nobody ever really talks about, is that he would seem to have do, done anything to never go back to the Eastern Front, because he doesn't, ever. Um, even with all this commando shit, like he personally never goes back to the Eastern Front. He's obviously does not, fucking does not terrified. Get turned into blood mulch. No, no. Um, that, that seems to be a part that's kind of missing from his personal biography: his intense fear of ever having anything to do with the Soviets ever again. <laughs> do not wish to be turned into blood mulch. Um, now, before he could be ordered to go back to war after getting better, he leveraged his connections with Carlton Brunner once again in order to get into one of the SS commando units. Now, this happened to be something of the perfect time for someone like him. And by someone like him, I mean a close friend of a very powerful Nazi, not that he was qualified for this. So remember, he's been a logistics officer this entire time. Because he had been teaching for so long, Carlton Brunner kind of knew how to use him and how to recommend him. Because he couldn't just be like, this is my friend. You have to hire my friend, right? Like, you have to give him a reason. And he's like, well, he's been teaching in the SS uh, officer program for years. So obviously, he'd be good at teaching the SS commando unit. Um, and, and he was quickly named the leader of SS Special Forces, or in German, the Sonderlurgang Orenberg, which oh, yes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> which I know I nailed. I nailed that perfectly. Um, and the leader of SS Special Forces does not mean he was the commander. Like It means he was the leader of training. He would eventually become the commander, but he always had commanders over him. He never had... like He wasn't like a general or anything like that. He was never a member right, of right, right. the or anything. Um, People make it sound like he was operating completely independently, and he absolutely was not. Um, though the unit's name would change a ton of times. I'm not going to track them all, because you know how Nazis love them some name changes. I'll do um, it. They, they fucking love naming, man. They're, it's they're like not, Google, man. Just renaming YouTube Red to YouTube Premium to YouTube Music. Jesus Christ. YouTube Red sounds like if YouTube started a porn page. Mm-hmm. There was YouTube Premium before YouTube Premium? Hmm. I mean, the Nazis renaming military units and collapsing them down is a lot like the what the Soviets did, just tacking new right. honorifics onto all their sure, uh, sure, onto sure. all their units. Like, I just don't keep track of them because it's pointless. Sure. Um, generally, it's known as the 502nd Jaeger Battalion. Um, but depending on, uh, there's also like special task groups, and these the uh, it just it's not important. It's often said he got this position because of his reputation, his daring, his outside the box thinking. <laughs> so good he didn't get to have the decency to turn himself into meat mulch yeah but it's he didn't do any of that it was it was completely and he was completely and totally unqualified he was not a commando he was a logistics officer and he got this because of party connections and there had been a lot of political backstabbing at the time which is why i said this is the this is the perfect time for him to try this um wilhelm canaris who's the head of um the german intelligence wing the abwehr abwehr one however you pronounce it um, he, he was the head of, of that and like the regular Intel service. And he was a double agent. <laughs> um, and the weird part is, is a fair amount of people were actually kind of aware of it. Um, like there was quite a few people within the Nazi government was like, the guy's so bad at his job. He's probably a spy. <laughs> but this also created something of a Nazi civil war within the administration of the country as the SS and the regular Intel services hated one another. Um, yep. And I mean, the SS hated everybody who was in SS. Um, and the SS wanted to supplant the Abwehr with their own intelligence services. Um, and one of the ways they thought about doing that was via commandos and you know people like Skorzeny. Uh, but that, the same goes for virtually everything. Like um, Heydrich, Himmler, and Kaltenbrunner wanted the effect of the entire Third Reich to be nothing but like an SS state. Um, everything else is considered untrustworthy. Um, so by the time Hitler decided to greenlight this commando training pro- program, Carlton Brunner had replaced Heydrich because Heydrich was murdered. Uh, rest in piss. Um, he killed via the horsehair insulation of his own car seat. It's <laughs> <laughs> scoreboard, bitch. One of my du- favorite dumb stories about the Heydrich's assassination is um, uh, Dr. Theodore Morell, who was Hitler's personal doctor and noted complete sure. wild psychopath who just loved giving people drugs. Uh, correctly told the doctor how to save, to save Heydrich's life, which was to give him an antibiotic. Uh, 
but uh, Hydric died of blood poisoning. Um, and the doctor who's taking care of Hydric's like, that seems unnecessary and didn't listen to him. So Hydric died. So like literally the one time Theodore Morel was correct. It's my favorite part of that fucking story. Um, but now um, uh, Colton Brunner was head of the Reich security office, which was one of the highest ranking offices, making him one of the highest ranking people in Germany. Solidly having, I don't know, weird fart-filled tea meetings with Hitler because Hitler farted a lot. Just another fun fact. Yeah. He had like an intestinal issue, which is one of the reasons why Morel kept giving him drugs. Just caused him to fart all the time. As you di- as one, I don't know what to do with that. It's just okay. really funny to think about all the times that like you see Adolf Hitler looking stern in a room like that's the face of man who's curly. No, that hair. Yeah. Because <laughs> his little tummy hurt. Uh, um, sure. Yeah. No, no, he shot himself in the head. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> now, yeah, uh, Hitler saw Colton Brunner as loyal. And therefore, this guy who Hitler had never heard of, Skorzeny, that Colton Brunner was uh, saying, hey, we should make this guy head of the, the commandos, must be loyal to. That was, that was it. That's all it was. Nobody gave a fuck about his reputation. It was just loyalty. Still- Loyalty and connection. Really impressive, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So stupid. Now, all of this kind of actually makes his future success quite weird um, because hmm. we talk about political loyalty, uh, cl- political loyal appointees tripping over their own feet and dicks into pl- yeah. uh, positions of power quite frequently. And it always sure. ends badly. But that's not what happens here. Like, if Scorzeni, uh does nothing, we would not be talking about him. But, like, uh, he. I won't say he's always successful. Of course he's not. We're going to talk about those too. Um, but like famously, he, he's the guy who rescues Mussolini, which we're talking right, about. Right, in right, right. Uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Just normally you don't expect someone like him to actually make like it. rise up. Yeah, yeah. sure. No. Now, unlike the allies, especially the British and eventually the Americans, special operations or special missions did not play a super important part in German war doctrine. They didn't even have a special operations doctrine at all. Scorzeni would invent it because he had no choice. Um, the closest they had was the Germans intelli- German intelligence sabotage teams, which we talked about before in our Operation Pistorius episode. Um, so not the greatest agents out there. This had something to do with the old school Prussian idea of war um, that dominated German high command. Um, I mean, not, not to say that they weren't Nazis. Of course, they were Nazis. The Nazification of the Wehrmacht is pretty well documented and we did a whole episode on that. Um, but they did believe that this whole thing was like distasteful and ungentlemanly, which I understand is fucking rich coming from a literal Nazi military. Nazis, right. Yeah. Like, but it's because they did see, uh, you know, obviously I'm not counting them fighting the Soviets in this, but they saw fighting the Americans and the British and the French or whatever as like fighting their peers. And, you know, they believe that, you know, you fight your military peers and the, this honorific way, which is complete bullshit, of course. Um, and that's why you saw such a uh, massive change of tactics between the Eastern and the Western fronts is, you know, you see, you see how they treat people as what they see as humans and people, they treat people as subhumans. Right. Um, but they believe that, you know, wearing enemy uniforms or sneaking enemy lines and doing uh, shit like that was considered like below them. Uh, but it's 1943 now and Germany isn't looking so good anymore. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the facade of honor starts to slip away a bit. Yeah, um, I can't believe the Nazis would do this. I, I expected more honor from my genocidal imperial project. Um, uh, and, you know, they were on the defensive in most places, so things began to change. Skorzeny fell under Walter, a guy named Walter Schellenberger, who is now in head of all German intelligence and was just an all-around a weird guy. Um, Schellenberger's kind the of... Nazis love themselves some freaks, man. Yeah, they're all nerds. Like, fascists are nerds. That's what it comes down to. And like they have really and like not all nerds are fascists, of course, but all fascists are nerds. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and then and I mean that because they're like weird in a way that is detrimental to their own well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Schellenberger did not believe in paperwork, um, which is weird did for Nazi. Existed, or? He he thought that it w- was slowing him down. Um okay. and he believed in only passing orders verbally, which meant that virtually okay. nothing he said was followed as, you know, right. you, can't, you can't play telephone that way. Um, like his superiors hated him because of this. Hitler especially didn't like him because Hitler loved paperwork. Strange bird, man. And Schellenberger also wasn't 
like Scorzani didn't like him either. He wasn't like a commando. He wasn't um, anybody that Scorzani respected. But anyway, Scorzani went about recruiting his own, his new commando outfit, which turned out to be quite hard um, because he wasn't allowed to pull anyone from regular SS or army units. Uh, he had to pick from units that nobody else wanted, which was mostly the multinational SS units that nobody cared about. So there were actually, at first, very few Germans in his units. They were like Dutch, Serbs, Arabs, Flems, uh, and, and ethnic Germans from places that were not Germany. There's also a lot of Hungarians. Um, yeah, uh, so like, but that wasn't, it still wasn't enough people. So he, rec- he started recruiting from the nearby uh, SS penal camp. Uh, this, is, this is for members of the Waffen-SS that had been locked up for uh, breaking rules. And the SS at the time had a lot of inane bullshit rules. Um, like the vast majority of people in that camp were actually there for the grave crime of, quote, defeatist talk. Which, to be fair, later on in the war, people just got just got strung up for this. So, like at the time, just getting thrown in the in, in a penal camp was a, was a good deal. Also, it got you out of the war. However, it turned out they didn't really want to be soldiers anymore, and none of them even wanted to train. Um, like when he turned up, there the camp commandant just like picked people like you'll go train with them, and they're like, right. "Fuck, I will." <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, and they just refused to. Uh, they decided Good. that a stint Good. in SS fucking prison camp was better than having to serve in fucking military. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I don't know like how, how much... I don't want to be your friend so bad, I'd rather go to SS prison camp. Yeah, and these and this is like at a time where the Waffen SS was like, they had to go through purity tests and interviews. Like, you had to really want to join the SS before, right. like, you know, 43, right? Um and these guys had like had gotten one whiff of the Eastern Front, like, nope, I'm staying nope. in the camp until the shit yeah. is over. I'm fucking fuck the master race. I'm sitting in my own shit in this tent. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Close the flap on your way out, please. <laughs> <laughs> Never has race science been defeated so quickly. <laughs> uh, now, eventually, that plan failed, uh, and they were uh, allowed to re- recruit from the Wehrmacht. But, they, but the Wehrmacht itself didn't exactly have a ton of guys to go around to give all to these special projects in account of, you know, the war. So he fell back on a group of people that nobody cared about, the SS Totenkampfverband, better known as Concentration Camp Guards. Oh, Jesus fuck. <laughs> they had not seen any combat and barely had any training whatsoever. Um, a lot of these guys had actually never fired a rifle before posted to a, a, a concentration camp. Um, he recruited a lot of these guys um, because when you know it, concentration camp guards largely did not know what they were signing up for when they got recruited. Mm, That's fair. Like they, a lot of them assumed they were like POW camp guards. Like, wait, where am I? Where am I going? You're going to be a real bastard. You're going to be the kind of guy that gets strung up at the end of the war. Yeah. Like sliding aside, like, ah, you see all this evil shit. The SS is doing. You're going to do worse than that. Like, Oh, you're going to be a guy so awful that when you, if you escape from Germany 80 years from now to like Cleveland, someone will recognize you. So, and someone will drag your ass back to Germany. Yeah. Dying yeah, in I'm a not, nursing home. I'm not a big believer in, uh, in the death penalty. I can make an exception for uh, SS, obviously. Oh, no. I mean, I think we could, we've, we've said this a few times and neither of us are pro capital punishment. However, <laughs> in situations like this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and like, you know, as I've said, you know, also crimes against children, crimes against animals, you know, by and large, I oppose the death penalty because I think the state isn't in the business of executing, shouldn't be in the business of executing people. But you execute a guy who killed some puppies. Maybe I turned the other way for a bit. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel like when uh, like eventually we'll do a series in like the Nuremberg trials or something like when the because like the the court uh, cases were not law. Um, like the, it was 100% a victor's court. Even the U.S. Supreme Court's like, I'm not taking part in this. This is a kangaroo court. And it, to that, I say, yeah, I don't care. Don't care. <laughs> scoreboard, scoreboard, back to back World War champs. Even the even the fucking executioner they picked was just some drunk from like Nebraska who had never been an executioner before. Uh, they asked him, uh, like the U.S. Army is looking for an executioner, and he was like, yeah, I was an executioner back uh, before I got drafted. Uh, I was a hangman for uh, Oklahoma and Texas. Well, at the time, neither Oklahoma or Texas used hanging as their method of execution. They had long since moved to the electric chair. 
Uh, and the army's like, cool, works for us. We don't care. Here's a rope. And he fucked up every single execution. Um, and to that, I say, LOL. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't I'll, fucking I'll, care. I'll, yeah, I don't fucking care. Like, that's, that's what it is ultimately. It's like, I understand. Like, I'm a man. I try to be a man of principles. I try to be a man who doesn't. Yeah, who believes things consistently, and and then and the Nazis come in, into the picture, and I'm just like, yeah, what happens to him happens to him. Let it yeah. ride, baby. Honestly, I I wouldn't be. I think some of that uh drunk uh, that that drunk guy uh, executed at least one or or two people from the story. Um, him, yeah, man. I mean, I, I thought it was Schellenberger, but Schellenberger died two years after he's uh, released from prison because he he had a liver problem, but I'm, there's probably someone in the story that the drunk guy executed. Oh, he died of being a pussy. Okay. Yeah. His, his liver uh, was just built different. And, and by built different, I mean a bad <laughs> worse. Yeah. Worse than mine. Sucker. Yeah, um, well, bitch. It makes you feel any better. Uh, he was in prison from the Nuremberg trials un- until like the mid fifties when he died. Uh, and he was in prison the whole time. So like, you know, just going jaundiced in prison uh, at, uh, was it Landsberg well, prison? A little bit. As U.S. and Soviet prison guards laugh at him. <laughs> um, now, like I said, they started uh, recruiting from the the Totenkampfverband, um, but he still didn't have enough people because you know they they had a death machine to run. So eventually, they they were supplanted by a few hundred people from the Luftwaffe and the army. So it wasn't all death camp guards. And on this podcast, we call that progress. Um, now they trained in the commando shit you would expect: demolition, scouting, intelligence gathering. Because a, a, a largely, uh, like a huge part of um, uh, his commandos' jobs would be intelligence gathering, which is something that people said he was very good at, despite the fact he had no actual training in it. Because um, he's just a really good narc or something. Um, but their commando training was also uh, cut short. It wasn't very thorough because a lot of the guys that they were, were getting, remember it's 1943 and they were, and he was getting people that nobody else really wanted. So a lot of corners had been cut at this point when it came to just regular basic training. Like he had to teach the concentration camp guards how to fire the rifles. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Which you would think is one thing that concentration camp guards knew how to do. You'd think, right? But yeah. no. No, I guess not. These uh, these soulless monsters do not make great soldiers. Weird. But like I said, Skorzeny was not some kind of commando mastermind. He had no history doing this. He had taught basic officer school at an SS academy. He was not teaching paratroopers or whatever. He had no idea what he was doing. So he based the entire training program off of statements made from captured British commando. Since despite all of the jokes that we make during this show, the British really did have the most successful commandos of World War II. Um, Mostly just because they were ahead of the curve. Uh, another thing that he learned, British and third nation commandos who worked for the special operations executive or the SOE flipped very easily when they were captured. Mo- many of them immediately upon being captured. Like, look, you don't have to torture. Like we've talked about before. If you just put out the torture implement on the table in front of me, I will tell you everything I'm out, you want to know. I'm out, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking done. You want my social security number? <laughs> you want my mom's address? Just don't tear off my fingernails, man. We're cool here, right? Like, and to that, I say, yeah. Why? I mean, you're gonna, you're, you're going to tell them everything at some point because you know they're going to torture you. You might as well just get it over with. What's the like? If, if I tell you everything I know, and and when I tell you everything I know, when all my fingers are broken, the only thing has changed that my I'm hands are fucked. All, all my fingers are broken, right? And especially because a lot of commandos get fucking executed because they're allowed to execute commandos. Like you're you're considered a saboteur, which under the Geneva Convention you're offered no protection at all. So like you might as well just like look, man, just shoot me and get it over with. Now, after studying a lot of these interrogations, he figured out the best way to make everybody uh, like ironclad proof uh, from interrogation is to make sure he only recruited absolute, no questions asked, rabid Nazi loyalists, right. and he did. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's the answer to this question because you can torture that loyalty right out of someone on a long enough right, timeline. Of course. And you know, that happened. Of course it did. Um, but there is a one little problem here. SOE commandos, which is what he's basing this off of had basic training, which is what they were going through basic commando training, but they also had specialized training pertaining to whatever mission they were about to be sent on. They trained for specific missions. Um, like, and that still happens today. Like for example, the bin Laden raid in Pakistan, they built a full scale uh, replica of his home, like you know, like Nathan Fielder, <laughs> and had them run through the fucking course for months before they finally won this mission. 
Um, like that's something that they learned in World War II is the best way to go about training for uh, specialized missions, and they still do it today. However, in order to do that, you need to know what your mission is. You need to know what what these commandos are going to be used for. Mm-hmm. And nobody in the Nazi commando was telling Skorzeny what the fuck his commandos would be doing. So they couldn't do any specialized training. But this is also one of the foundational dumb things about the Nazi government in that it did not work. Now, I'll say it work, boys. Yeah, way to, way to be, idiots. Now, I think we've talked about this before. Um, there are so many different departments within the Nazi government headed by, uh, and many of them are doing the exact same job all headed by different men who all hated one another and almost nothing ever worked. And this spawned a partially true belief that Hitler did this on purpose. Um, now, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a dual reason for this. If everybody hates one another, they can't plot against you. Um, you're too distracted plotting against your fellow SS, whatever, mm-hmm. I don't know, member of the, the, lo- the, the local, local dick-sucking yes. yeah, the, the dick office of whatever third branch of government you work for. Um, and you're going to be too busy plotting to work your way up that ladder rather than plotting to kill Hitler or whatever. But another part of this is he believed that if he made five people do the same job, the best idea would raise to the surface. Like that really dumb idea that the... What? Fucking, yeah, Nazi uh, meritocracy. Okay, but, guy. But that truly also can't work because we see the internal functions of the government were right. only based on party loyalty and personal connection. So they like defeated themselves. Like, congratulations, Hitler. You've played yourself. You've done it. Um, but this, I mean, this also... Uh, Put a quarter in your ass because you played yourself. <laughs> Um, I mean, and like obviously, this creates a an environment of government where everybody just doesn't work because everybody's doing the same minor bullshit. And there was other like on a long enough timeline, way way down the like the the chain of command, the Nazi military did this and it did work. Um, but that's because you tell like three junior officers to do the same thing, and they come up with a good idea for a single general rather than the leader of a country having his entire government operating that way, like. You cannot expand that operation to be the entire government. It does not work that way. <laughs> now, this paralyzed decision-making, and especially when it came to planning commando operations. And then you also had Heinrich Himmler. Um, oh, uh, Him- yes, you son of a whore. Himmler, the engineer of the Holocaust and a cult-obsessed moron, um, was not a military man at all. In any stretch of the imagination, he was a party loyalist through and through who attached himself at the hip to Hitler and was uh, just an SS functionary. Though there is a really funny time where he did get an army group command towards the end of the war, and it failed so hard that Hitler yelled at him until he had a mental breakdown, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tried to run an entire army group command out of his personal train um, on the Eastern Front, and his personal luxury train on the Eastern Front. Um, Outstanding work. Which which had like a single telephone line um, and no radio. And uh, he didn't even know how to read a map because why the fuck would he know how to read a map? He's not a military guy. Um, And uh, yeah, that went about as well as you can imagine. Running an army group, which is, I believe, hundreds of thousands of people with a single 1944 phone line. (laughs) Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, Now, he was, you know, the SS guy. So he had a say in everything the SS did. And he kept coming up with plans that were completely and totally impossible for the SS commandos to do, like attacking Soviet factories and infrastructure that were thousands of miles behind enemy lines, um, when at the time, the Nazis were having a hard time just keeping the line where it was. Um, And not to mention, like, how are you going to infiltrate a team of hundreds of people thousands of miles behind enemy lines in the Soviet Union? But and 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 to be clear, everyone knew Himmler's plans were dumb. Everybody did. Nobody entertained Himmler's bullshit. However, he was still fucking Himmler. So it's not like Otto Skorzeny could be like, that's dumb. No. Right, because he's Himmler. Right. Yeah, he's fucking Himmler. Yes. Um, so in the middle of training uh, for real missions, he had to act like he was planning Himmler's dumb operations, that, that specifically that one where going behind enemy lines in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. He had to fake that he was playing that for 18 months Jesus fuck. <laughs> before Himmler saw something shiny and forgot about it. Um, though he finally did get a real operation for his commandos to plan for, Operation Franz. Um, 
Now, this mission was not exactly what Skorzeny had in mind for what he trained, trained his team for, but it was within things that he thought they were vaguely capable of. Um, however, again, because the commandos were not this entity that had their own separate command, they were kind of just loaned out. Um, and this plan, Operation Franz, was developed by a guy from the Gestapo, <laughs> not someone from the military. Um, <laughs> So, like, the worst kind of cop ever plans a uh, military operation. Outstanding. Now, the plan was to parachute into Iran oh, in order boy. to support an uprising against oh, a chosen Jesus. British dictator uh, and the resulting dual occupation of Iran of British and Soviet forces. There was an uprising going on, um, and he believed that uh, if, if they supported and train them they could turn into force multipliers mm-hmm, you know, expand sure, this across sure. iran make it a, a manhole and uh, a manpower hole and resource hole for the for the british and the soviets however this would require them to bring weapons guns and military trainers uh, we- weapons money and military trainers i should say um money to smooth things over with locals guns because they didn't really have that many and military trainers so you could turn them into an effective guerrilla force right mm-hmm However, the guy from the Gestapo decided at the last minute, we don't actually need the military trainers. Let's just bring the guns and the, and, and the gold. They brought literally gold bars with them. Oh, boy. Because the idea was uh, we would need more planes to drop these guys in because you, know, uh, you need 20 or 30 more people, whatever it might be. And they didn't really have that many planes. They didn't have to requisition more. So they didn't want to do that. So instead, they're like, oh, we'll just bring more gold because then you can bribe more tribesmen uh, or uh-huh. that people may be off uh-huh. on the fence uh-huh. into joining, right? Now, it's telling that when Skorzeny heard this plan, he did not go with them. Um, so you can probably guess how this one went. Uh, the commanders jumped in Dairon, loaded down with gold and uh, you know the personal firearms. They landed, made contact with the raging insurgency that was actually quite small. And got themselves robbed at gunpoint of all of their gold. <laughs> and then when they were done robbing them, the insurgents simply walked mm-hmm. them over to the British camp and turned them in. Nice. Outstanding. That is the kind of Good thorough. Work, yeah, the thorough you military, military genius you accept you you expect from Hitler's favorite commando. Like, wait, you guys got robbed and then turned in. God damn it. However, there is one operation that Skrzeny is known for. Pulling Benito Mussolini's ass out of the fire, at least temporarily, and evacuating them to northern Italy to rule over a Nazi puppet state until he got the old upside-down treatment. That is the <laughs> legendary Grand Sasso raid. Grand Sasso. I don't know. Make it sound Italian. Um, big sausage. Big sausage. <laughs> Operation Big Sausage. Operation um, Big Sausage. And that is where the real Otto Skorzeny mythos was truly born and would continue to spiral out of control ever after. And that is where we'll pick up next time. Right. How are you feeling about old Otto? I, 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 listen, good, right? feeling I'm good? Not so good. I just, I don't understand why the man did not have the decency to pick up a Luger and put it inside his mouth and then pull the trigger on the Luger and make a Jackson Pollock painting all over the floor, which is all he would have been good for. Uh, I mean, I, to be fair, uh, you can also blame the guy from university who did not just cleave off his head and leave it yeah, dangling like yeah, a pest. I, yeah, I was also thinking that. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting to me to watch um, this, these people get, um, like these mythos surrounding them, the Guderians, the Skrzenis, people like yeah. that. And like, no, they rose that far because, uh, you know, the German military had true experts and this, that, yeah. and the other thing. Like, yeah. it's, no, it's, that's a, why it's a soft... Won, right? That's why they, they, why they won? Yeah, yeah exactly. Why they won. Oh, wait. Like, it, it truly is a soft revisionism of reality. Yeah, oh, sure. And this happens from people who even aren't sympathetic, right? Right. Like, you see people who say, like, you know, fuck the Nazis or whatever. This scores any guy. Couldn't have been a Nazi because of things that we're going to talk about. Um uh, and he was just like a, an honorable Prussian commando. And I was like, nah. no, he was he was a soulless party guy who worked his way up. Yeah, exactly. He the was dude just was Himmel- schlubbing it behind a fucking desk in Austria until he made friends with someone powerful. Like, Jr. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's one of the things that drew, that, um, that drew me to the story. And honestly, when I went into it, I didn't know that about him. I did think of him as this weird, like my first 
script was titled The Real Life Bond Villain because he did seem like one. But then when I researched him more, I'm like, no, he's just some fucking asshole. He's just a company guy. Yeah, he's he's just a, he's a lifelong company guy who knows the get who knew who knew the guy who was like middle management HR who eventually made his way up to be the boss, like the shift boss or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's nothing special about this guy, which is why I think he's so interesting. Because like for things like the Nazis to happen, you need an army of not special people. Just middle management assholes who do who only care about continuing their life as long as it doesn't hurt them in any p- particular way. Or self-aggrandizement. Yeah. Read yeah. that. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, that's part one. Liam, plug your shows. Make me. Uh, well, there's your problem. It's what I was doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there's your problem and 10,000 losses. Everybody, thank you for listening to the show. Um, if you like what we do here, consider supporting the show uh, via Patreon. Uh, you get unlocked stuff from $1 all the way up to $25. Um, whatever you like to give us. We have a $25 the show tier. One time somebody asked for it. I'm like, which is weird because you can just do your own custom donation. Like, You don't need a tier. Um, you, you, know, you know the dumbest thing is? I give this podcast $10 a month of my own money. <laughs> and then you make it right back. Yeah, I know. Podcast money laundering, baby. Um, now, if if you if if you don't feel like giving the show your money, that's fine. It's Fuck your you. money. Nope, do with nope, it what you wish. No um, do do something interesting with it, like a hobby. Uh, leave us Buy a review books. on uh, whatever podcast thing that you use. Uh, it's it's a great way to let us know how the show is doing. Because uh, we honestly, unless you give us reviews, we we don't know. We think um, we're great. Humble yeah. us, but also give us five stars. Uh, also, it help, helps us uh, on the algorithm in ways I don't fully understand. Yeah, People have told either, me but. that. Uh, but thank you again, everybody. And until next time, uh, do unprotected sword fights with your friends. <laughs>